Father, there are so many ways in which we can communicate with one another now. Mobiles, emails, Twitter, so many things. But we come to your word and know that you will come to us as you have promised and reveal its truth, we pray. Help us communicate with you now as you, the God who longs to speak, comes to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If God were one, there would be power. We'd like that, wouldn't we? I would. If God were two, there would be love. We all like that. All, the world, all we need is love, so the Beatles sang. But as God is three, there is community. And community can be a bit tricky, to be honest. And today is Trinity Sunday, and we as a church are meant to read the Athanasian Creed today according to the rubrics of the Book of Common Prayer. Okay. It's very long, so we may not, I'm afraid. But anyway, this is a bit of it. The Father, incomprehensible. The Son, incomprehensible. And the Holy Spirit, incomprehensible. That is what Trinity Sunday is all about. God is incomprehensible. Far beyond our own understanding, greater by far than our own imagining. And we've made this journey, you see. We've made the journey, you would know this, of course, having made it, from Christmas, well, previously to the, you know, Annunciation, to Christmas with the birth of Jesus, through his life where he touches all kinds of different people, interacts with them, heals them, raises them from the dead, all kinds of things are going on with Jesus. Then he dies. Then he raises again from the dead, and then he ascends into heaven. And we've been on this journey, and we may think by now, that's it. I've got God summed up. I know everything there is to know about God. And then, of course, we get Pentecost. And then that throws everything into disarray with the flames of tongues and fire and wind blowing through the church to set it on its way. And then comes Trinity Sunday. And it's here for a reason. And the reason is we are not meant to fully understand God. And perhaps in this life we never will. Why? Because with God there is always more to discover. A bit like Anne, really. I keep discovering new things of Anne in all kinds of ways. It just goes on and on and on. And it's like that with God. We cannot define God just down to what our human minds can hold, even though he took flesh. Because there will always, there will always be more. Isn't that exciting? Don't you feel excited now this Trinity Sunday? Look, Alice was excited after the regret of yesterday. But look, we should be excited. There's more to discover. There's more to discover of who God is. And Trinity Sunday is exactly where it's meant to be, to remind us on the journey that we've made that God is God. And he will continually surprise us into fresh understanding. There is always more. And Jesus said in John 16, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And discovering God is a journey, a journey that we make day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Some have just started that journey. Some have been on that journey for a long time. But this Sunday and in the weeks to come, we're going to focus in the community on, of God on the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. I don't want to do everything that Bob is going to do, but I just want to break into this beautiful passage, if you've got it in front of you, of John 14, of 1082. Who is the Holy Spirit? 
And on this Trinity Sunday, this is the one passage from Scripture that the doctrine of the Trinity is explored. In verse 2 of chapter 14, which we didn't have read, it says here that Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm out of here, everybody, soon. I'm going. Devastating news. Devastating news for disciples who don't probably think he's finished what he came to do. I mean, it's the whole context of what he's now speaking about in verses 16 onwards. For he then says in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit is coming. And in verses 21 to 23, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus is saying, we're going to come to you and we're going to make our home with you. We are going to do this. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going away. The Holy Spirit is coming. And therefore, I'm coming. And Jesus is not saying, I'm not really going away. I'm coming to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Nor, on the other hand, is he saying, I'm going away. And therefore, I'm not coming. He's coming. He is so one with the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, Jesus himself comes. We come and make our home. And yet it seems Jesus is not so identical to the Holy Spirit that he isn't also already away in heaven, for he has ascended. They saw it, or would do. Have we all got that? Do we all understand that? Ooh, Lord Mary looks a bit puzzled there. The doctrine of the Trinity is really puzzling, isn't it? It's really incomprehensible in a way. In a sense, we're meant to be like that. It's meant to be a certain mystery about it. Because Jesus is saying there are not three gods because they are too one to be three. And it's not one person in three forms either. As if at one moment the Father has the Father hat on, then he takes it off and puts the Son hat on, then he takes it off and puts the Holy Spirit hat on. It would get very confusing, wouldn't it, for God? But it's not that one God in three forms. There is one God in three persons. And what's important to see today in this incomprehensible God, far beyond our understanding, is that the Holy Spirit is the personal, divine resident of each and every one of your hearts. The Holy Spirit is a divine resident of each of your hearts. Now that is amazing. How do we know this? How do we know that this is so personal? Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit not as it. Sometimes I hear people do that, it, the Holy Spirit. It's not an energy or a force, as it might infer. Jesus says, he. The world cannot accept him, he says. And from that moment on, the Holy Spirit is very personal. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, apparently you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, verse 29, you can outrage the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit loves in Romans 15. So if he's grieved, if he's outraged, if he's able to love, this isn't some impersonal force that cannot feel feelings. He is a person. 
And yet, he is not only a person, he is also God. And I will ask the Father, and he will send you another counselor. Jesus says he's one counselor, and the Holy Spirit is going to be another counselor. And in the Greek, it's confusing, this Greek word. It means just like the former, just like Jesus. And we have to understand what Jesus is saying because he's made some amazing claims about himself if the Holy Spirit is going to be like Jesus. Because in John 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He's virtually saying, I am God. He is the divine name. That's me. Jesus claims to forgive all sins as if all these sins committed are against him. For he's the one who can forgive him. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says he's going to judge the world. And in that sense, he's putting himself equal to God. And in these words of of John 14, Jesus is saying, I'm sending you someone who is just like me. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is God. The divine resident in your heart. If your heart has opened itself to Christ, the Holy Spirit, Jesus promises, will come in. We will come in and we will make our home in you. Therefore, as we think on the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We see that he is this divine person at the very center of your life. Do you have the awareness of the presence of the glory of the divine within you? Sometimes, as I said last week, I think, we have people come and stay with us. So you hoover and you clean and you make it all tidy. Now, if it's the queen, I don't know what we do, just... Beans on, I don't know, anyway, something, you know, we just invite her in. But you'd have that feeling that something different was happening. Another presence was in your home. So you can't do the normal things you might do. You know, sometimes we have guests, our behavior slightly changes, doesn't it? Just slightly sometimes. The Holy Spirit is a person who takes up residence in your home, within the walls of your life, every part of your life. The divine dwells. We could just stop there. I mean, that to me is just amazing. Every part of your life, the divine dwells with you. And what does he do? What does he do when he's there? Jesus tells us he's a spirit of truth and he's a counselor. I'm just going to briefly look at truth because that's coming up again a little bit later. We know that the Holy Spirit, at one level, authored the Bible. We read in 2 Peter 1, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in John 6, Jesus says, The words I speak to you are spirit and light. And these words are filled with the person of the Spirit. And if you believe in them, there are two approaches here. We can look as it were, at the Bible and study it as one would in historical document. But it's another thing completely to let the Bible dwell in you richly. Imagine if you wear glasses or contact lenses that you've suddenly got new glasses. Now, glasses cost a lot of money, don't they? They cost a lot of money. And you just bring them home and you leave them on the table and you look at them like an ornament. Oh, they're very nice. I do like my new glasses with their Gucci frames or Prada or whatever, you know. 
Sorry if anybody's wearing those, but they're very nice. Great, well done. And if somebody says to you, what are you doing? You're not just meant to look at these glasses. You're making a spectacle of yourself. <laughs> and you might be framed. No, no, no. You need to lift them up and put them on. And then you suddenly see everything differently. You suddenly can read the words that are just a blur on the page. You're meant to wear them. You're meant to put them on. And Jesus in verse 21 says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, my Father and I will love him and I will show myself to him. I will show myself to him. What does this mean? Jesus is speaking of people who are following him, who put their trust in him, who are reading his word, who are seeking to follow the way he has led them. And if they do this, he says, I will come and show myself to you. Not just in word. Because remember, this is about the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit taking the words and bringing life to them, making them live in us, literally live out these words. So we see life in a new way because we have taken the Holy Spirit in. We see it differently. And it's really hard because some people don't wear glasses. And some people don't bring in Jesus into their lives. And so there are two things going on in the world where some people are living by some completely different way. They see life really differently. But when you've invited Jesus into your life, you begin to see it differently. And hopefully your heart breaks for those who aren't wearing glasses, who have not invited Jesus in. Because if you're not wearing glasses and you keep stumbling and falling, you do get hurt. And Paul in Ephesians 3, an important passage for us here at St. Swithin's, from which our vision is rooted and grounded. The power that fills our church are these words, he says. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people, to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is talking to Christians, praying for them, that through the power of the Spirit, Christ may dwell in your, their hearts. But Christ is already in their hearts, Otherwise, they wouldn't be Christians. He's writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesus. Then he says, I'm praying that by the power of the Spirit, you may have power to grasp how high, wide, long, and deep is the love of Christ. Don't they already know the love of Christ? Of course they do. They're people who are following Christ, who put the glasses on, as it were, who are now seeing the world in a different way. But he says, it's very important he says this, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's one thing to read about Jesus in the Bible. It's another to have the Holy Spirit come and reveal, show Jesus to you through it. It's one thing to know Christ dwells in your heart. It's another to sense him and to feel him there. It's like you can read about food. You can read a recipe from Delia Smith, marmalade bread and butter pudding. Oh, agreement here. 
You can read, you can just read it, and it may do something for you. But it's a completely different thing to actually make and taste, experience the marmalade, bread and butter pudding. Imagine just reading about food, but never tasting the mouth-watering marmalade, bread and butter pudding. to have that explosion of the flavor and color and texture. It's why we all watch MasterChef, the amazing creations that they make. We don't just look at it. They do a terrible thing, don't they? They take these forks and dig into the food, and they eat this beautiful creation. Why? Because it's the total meal experience. And some people love the total meal experience, which starts with the lighting, the music, the tablecloth, the cutlery, the glasses, the whole, the whole works. Then suddenly somebody comes with a great dome plate and puts it on your table and takes the dome off. And suddenly this feast is put before you. Do you just stand and look at it, sit and look at it? No, you've paid 200 pounds for this. You tuck in straight away and you eat, you take it in you. And you sit there, oh my goodness, the saffron in this is just amazing, exploding on my tongue. And then you just taste the wine, my goodness, the bouquet of fine nettles, whatever. It's just, you've got to experience this. So it's not just objective truth here in the context of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going, but he's sending the, the person who's going to lead us in all truth, the Holy Spirit. It's not just objective truth we live by, it's subjective truth. Because the Holy Spirit makes this truth live. And we need that. For as we remember last week, God is a living God. And this is the first thing the Holy Spirit brings to us. The truth that God is living because we experience him. Don't we? Do you not experience God? If you don't, come and see me afterwards. I'd love to pray. Now, this is the main thing. Sorry, lunch will be at five today. Don't worry. It's a long, it's a beautiful passage. You're all worried now. Oh, dear, look, Sylvia's worried. But he is also a counselor. I will ask my father. It's funny how Jesus has to ask the father to do this in the Trinity. And he will give you, not Jesus, the father is going to give you the counselor. It's probably the main point of the passage, even though translators struggle here. Des wouldn't, obviously, because the Greek word is so rich. It's hard to find one word that emphasizes all of its meaning. And when you hear the word counselor, you may think of a person you seek to help you at a time of personal need or crisis, or help you think something through. It could be in the context of marriage counseling. Some of you will not have this word at all in your remit, some of us who are older. You will have the word comforter, and immediately you'll go to the Battle of Hastings and the tapestry, and you'll see the man walking there with the spear, who was called the comforter, who would literally force people to keep fighting, to keep going in the battle. That may be your interpretation. Or it could be you've got this lovely picture of a duvet just floating down and just nestling in bed and staying there. Oh, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'll just stay here. Lovely. The word is paraclete. It's very difficult to translate. Para means not to be in front or stand behind, but to actually come alongside. 
And the second part means to call, to declare, or actually to argue. So the understanding we get of this person of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside, who represents you, who is loyal to you, a person with you, with you, really with you, in the strongest possible sense. But on the other hand, it's a person who really argues, who makes a case, someone who defends you against your enemies. Why would Jesus use this word paraclete? Why would Jesus say the Holy Spirit is your legal advocate? The Holy Spirit's job, it seems, is to defend you from enemies here on earth, but also the Holy Spirit is to defend you from things that come from within your own heart. Romans 8. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Again, Rather, the Spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Our hearts, while we are on this earth, are filled, well mine is, but yours may not be, are filled with all kinds of fears and doubts. Why are we here? Who am I? What is this life all about? What is my identity? But the Holy Spirit argues with us, you see. The Holy Spirit wants to really go to work with you, almost to pound you, and say, you are his child. You are deeply loved. So although you may have all this fear of wondering what it's all about in your heart, the Holy Spirit who dwells in your heart comes in and says, but you're a child of God. Do you not know this? Do you not know that you are deeply loved? This is the role of the counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. And witness here in the Greek means star witness. Star witness in a court. The person who brings legal testimony in court. The one who comes and literally basically settles the whole argument. What a lawyer to have on your side. What an advocate. This isn't the good wife, whatever, Alicia. This isn't Alicia from the good wife, if people watch that. This is somebody far better. Or in Legally Blonde, if you see Legally Blonde, where she defends someone who's had a perm who's murdered her husband, her father. No, no, don't worry. No one's there. Not at all. Totally confused. Thankfully, we're doing the Word of God, not Legally Blonde, but don't worry. You must see the film. I was going to show a clip, but I won't. What this passage says, it's just very moving. This woman advocates for this person and releases her into freedom. It's just wonderful, with no experience, really. What this passage says is that your heart is filled with all kinds of doubts as to who you are, and the Holy Spirit comes in and testifies on your behalf, in your own heart, to say, you are a child of God. Do you not get this? There is no reason to doubt. You are his. But there are people walking around without spectacles on who do not know this, and so we get thrown into doubt. Or in Hebrews 12, the father disciplines the one he loves. Hebrews 12 is all about suffering. And it's suffering that can fill our hearts with doubts. There are a number of people suffering at the moment. And when bad things have happened in the past, to us perhaps, they can live on. Those things that people have said against us or things that have happened to us, they can be like graffiti that somebody's written on your heart that simply should not be there. People who've spoken falsely against you, words that can really hurt, actions that can truly damage. 
and they can be stored up for many, many years. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the counselor, the comforter, comes and wants to wipe off this graffiti from your heart. Wipe it right away. How? By arguing clearly and passionately. You are not what the world makes you. You are a child of God. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit to come to you when you are cast down by life. He comes, he counsels you, advocates truth to you, the truth of who you truly are. He has not abandoned you. Your Father is with you. 1 John 3. If your hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than your own heart. And the difficulty is that our hearts do not really like the idea of grace let alone being welcomed into a home of grace. The gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ has died for you, has saved you, is so hard to receive. We think we have to earn it, work our way into his salvation. And some of this is about all of us taking control of our lives. And that's what rises in our hearts, the fears, the doubts that buffet us, like that ship we saw, that little boat tossed in the waters on sea. When bad things happen to us, we cry out, he's abandoned me. He does not love me. I can't believe his grace for me. And the Holy Spirit comes rushing in and argues. He makes the case. He pours into us the gospel. He pours into our hearts the love of God, Romans 5. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what the counselor does. He not only argues with the motivation of truth against all that would cause us harm. He loves us. He loves us as we face temptation. James 4, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Don't you know that the spirit of God within you envies you? Again, it's a difficult word to translate. It's saying that don't you realize that when you start to let the world take you away from God, the Holy Spirit longs for your love. God longs for your love. And the Holy Spirit is a person, remember, who sees us giving our hearts to, to money, to fame, to sex, to status, instead of giving our heart to God. And the Holy Spirit, seeing our heart tempting us away from God, knowing that this is going to destroy us, the Holy Spirit acts in the way a loving friend acts towards an addict. What do you do when someone you love, you see them destroying themselves through addiction? You take them aside and you say, I see what you are doing. Even if you can't, I'm not going to let you do it. So you have me to reckon with. I am going to confront you. I am going to get right in your face. I'm not going to let you do this to yourself. Why? Because I love you too much. Is that your understanding of the word counselor? It can become a real battleground when confronted with truth. But when the Holy Spirit comes into the battle, love and wisdom comes with him. He comes as a person. He comes as a friend. He comes as a legal advocate. I will not let you destroy yourself, he says. For I know that the good God has begun in you and he will complete it. And I am here 
the divine resident in your heart, to see that what God has begun, he's going to complete. And every day, I am with you. Even when we get tossed out the boat, I am still with you. A counselor will go. When the case is finished, an advocate will leave. When you're suffering addiction that destroys, it's so hard for family and friends to stay with you. And sometimes people have to leave those who are addicted in order to survive themselves. And the Holy Spirit as counselor will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, the Holy Spirit is a glorious person who will not give up or surrender until you and I become the glorious person you are called to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus had to leave the context as he's going so that his friend who is utterly for you, the one who will never leave you or forsake you, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, could come. Jesus knew we needed him. That's what a paraclete does. That's why Jesus used the word paraclete. But finally, what the advocate, the Holy Spirit does, is not point to himself, but he points to Jesus. And J.R. Packer had that lovely illustration where he suddenly was walking to church to talk about the Holy Spirit, and he sees a beautiful church building lit up. What he can't see is where the light is coming from. It's bathed in light, but he cannot see where the light is actually. It's actually underground, but he can't see it. He just sees the light. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't want anything for himself. He just wants all the light to be upon Jesus, to be upon Jesus Christ. He is the advocate on earth, pointing to our advocate in heaven. And Jesus is an advocate too, the another counselor. Why? Because Jesus has paid the price and he intercedes for us at the right hand of God. And he says to God, Simon, God, I'm not God, but God is God. Okay, let's be clear here. He says to God, there's no condemnation for Simon now. I've paid the price completely with my blood and with my death. And therefore, you are free to welcome him as your beloved son. That's quite an advocate to have, isn't it? But the window tells us he's up in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit, the advocate on earth, does pour into my life what God has already done. He's saying, look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he has done. Look at Jesus. Look at the beauty of him. Look at him dying for you. Look at his advocacy for you. Do you not see there is no danger, no failure, no accusation? There is nothing that can overturn you, that can cast you down. The Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus by right and he makes it yours. There is nothing more beautiful than this. Let me overwhelm you, the Holy Spirit says, with the glorious sight of Jesus. Can you see him? Can you see him and what he's done? And what the Holy Spirit does is reveal the magnificence of divine selflessness, of Jesus Christ emptying himself of glory in order to become a servant, in order to die on a cross 
for your sins and for my sins. And the Holy Spirit's job is not to speak of his own glory, but to keep pointing people to the beauty, the glory of Jesus. There must be something deep in the heart of God, in the Trinity, that is always towards the other. And the Trinity itself reveals this. If God were one, there would be power. If God is two, there's love. But if God is three, there is community. There is a selflessness in God. There is something in this incomprehensible God that says, my life for yours. My life for yours. That's what God says. And there is something in God that says, I'm here to serve you. The Father surrenders to the Son and the Spirit. The Son surrenders to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit surrenders to the Son and the Father in this mutual dance of love that the Trinity share. And if you want to be like the divine person who comes and makes his home in your heart, you and I have to be people that reflect the magnificence of divine selflessness. It's not easy in a world where people don't have spectacles on that tell them it's not all about self. It's about the other. So we cannot do this alone. We cannot remove this pride and be like the one who lives within you. You cannot do it alone. I cannot. Because the world is giving a completely different message. We're nearly there. Or perhaps today you are simply struggling in your journey, in your pilgrimage. You may not have even begun it. You may be struggling with the fact that you feel an utter failure. You may struggle with that fact. In the people I listen to, there are many people who feel they've messed up. You may feel you even loathe yourself. You may feel in this beautiful building, ugly. If you do, you need an advocate. You need a comforter. And you need a counselor. Yes, you have one in heaven in Jesus Christ who is paid in full, as we will come and remember very shortly now. But you also have one on earth, Jesus is saying, I will not leave you as orphans. When my parents died, I felt like an orphan. Jesus didn't want me to feel that when he left. So he sent the comforter. The comforter who will not give up on me who, yes, will be challenging at times, but he will be overwhelming in selfless love, utterly. Will you surrender? Will you be changed by the God who says, my life for yours? Will you say, I'm here to serve you in school tomorrow, in your office, with that elderly relative who's really difficult at the moment? Will you reveal the divine resident in your heart? If yes, if yes to surrender, the power of the incomprehensible God will be at work in you and me this Trinity Sunday. Thanks be to God. Let's stand.